Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Success hinges on the ball going into the opposition's net once more than it goes into your own. Oh, oh danger here! Danger here! In other words, we inflict our game with Cav, you've had a, a very successful career and it all began really a home farm to Middlesbrough. Like, how did that connection come about? Because obviously you kind of see lads going from Dublin to like the Yates of United and then they go down a bit. No disrespect to Middlesbrough, but they drop down and play with Middlesbrough a few years trying to work themselves up. So how does that come about home farm to Middlesbrough? Uh, what happened was, a bit of a long story, this, but basically at the very start I played a team called Cambridge Boys, then I moved to uh, IGB, and then I moved from IGB to Home Farm. And the reason I've done that was a friend of mine, Carl Wilson, who went to Coventry, he, he was playing in the, in the Home Farm team. Um, it was probably under 13s, under 12s, maybe under 13s, so I went to Home Farm. Knowing the history of Home Farm and obviously the, the, the amount of players that went away, and uh, like every kid's dream, to play uh, in England. Mine was, mine was no different. So we ended up going to the Mill Cup in Northern Ireland on the 14th. Funny enough, I had, I had a fight the week before with this lad and he broke my hand on his head. Wasn't able, to, wasn't able to play in the tournament. So experience the tournament, watching it if you like, being up there, seeing the teams that were up there, um, seeing all the scouts that were there if you like, and then came back. So that, that sat in my brain thinking, my God, the amount of trials you can get off the back of any exposure you can get because it's such a big tournament. For then two years later, we went up um, and played in a, a Middlesbrough in our group along with Liverpool and we ended up playing Tottenham in the semi-final. Had a really good tournament, played well. Middlesbrough said to me, a fella called Ron Bone, uh, Ron has just retired now recently, he was the youth, youth development officer. He said to me, yeah, I'd like to bring you over in trial. So went on trial, done really well. They said they wanted to offer me a contract. In the, in the process of that happening, I played for Ireland, scored. We beat Northern Ireland 1-0. I, I scored, went around the goalkeeper, lad, done my ankle. So I was injured and I wasn't able to, I wouldn't have been able to play going over to Middlesbrough. Like, on the day I was about to um, to go over, I got a phone call that Leeds, who had, who had already wanted me over on trial, and Liverpool, who was the, who was the team I support. Liverpool mm. were going to double me money and uh, they just wanted me to sign. Leeds were, were offering me a contract a little bit better than what Middlesbrough were, but the fact I'd been to Middlesbrough and the fact that I knew, or I, I, thought, don't, don't, I don't know where it came from in my own head, but I knew in my own mind that I'd, I'd have a better chance at Middlesbrough to, to, to break through and make the grade. And Middlesbrough's always had a history, if you like, of, of uh, giving kids a chance. So I just said, right, I'm going to go for it. Uh, I didn't feel I was good enough to go to Liverpool at that particular time. We had a, we had a player, Mark Kenny, who had just left um, and, and had gone over to Liverpool from home farm. Um, Jamie Redknapp had just signed there they would literally just won the title it was back in 1990 and as much as I would have loved to I didn't want to be on that train or on that plane rather coming home thinking yeah play for Liverpool reserves or 
the youth team, but I've never I've never had a first team opportunity. So so that was that was how it was and I ended up signing for Middlesbrough in the end. But would you not look back at that and go like people have regrets through their career going, Why didn't I go for it? Why didn't I have a bit of confidence in myself and go for Liverpool? No, to be honest with you, I, I tell you it was funny, um Robbie Kane was up here um as assistant manager last year and um and we Callum would be training on the evening before he's because so Callum was a, a skill boy and now he's he's become a scholar and a pro. One a night time, um, me and Robbie had meet up and have a coffee and just have a chat while Callum was training. And we were we were just going on about, you know, us both being Liverpool fans and why did you sign for Wolves and vice versa. And uh, it was it was at the it was the contrast was very similar. It was an inner inner belief and inner feeling that you were gonna play first team football earlier, get that chance, get mm. that recognition and and get onto the spotlight. I mean, Robbie's career has obviously been completely different to mine, but um, I don't know as a as a as a 15, 16 year old how I knew that that was going to be the case, but it turned out for the best. And to be honest with you, looking back on it, I don't think I would have been ready mentally to to have played at Liverpool um, at that particular time. I think three or four years later, I possibly would have been. But um, mm. you know, I, I certainly don't have any regrets, and I don't have any any thoughts of you know what could have been. I mean, I'm very very proud, very happy at the career I've had. But um, it was just one of them decisions I made at the time. I always think that when lads go from Ireland to the UK, they don't realise not just how big a, a difference there is in just the football terms, but in terms of culture and stuff like that. Do you go, this is a different ball game. Everyone's mentality here is something I've not dealt with so far. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, at home farm, it was ultra competitive because we, we were part of that team that, um, that was really successful. So we basically... Um, we had a very we had a, we had a side of probably 15, 16 players that any any one of them could have could have played um, week in week out, and we and we still would have been successful. So you always had that competitive edge to stay in the team or try and get in the team. And mm. funny enough, it was me and Gary Kelly who left. I don't think we had eight players who went away, but we, it was me and Gary Kelly who who left, and were the two players who went on to have careers. But if you'd have looked at that team, we weren't by by, by far the, the, the best players, and you know you'd be in and out of the team, you'd, you'd play and. Um, and I think that sort of stood me in good stead going to Middlesbrough but I do remember coming to Middlesbrough I came over in the October I was signing my professional contract in December and um, even just the whole the accent the the lingo the um, you know just the certain words that were used even like in Ireland in Dublin we used to say uh, house so somebody was on yeah. your back and then in England as you know they say man on now that, that might not sound a big thing, but at, at a very early age, I'm thinking, man, on what? And you have to quickly become accustomed to the terminology that's used and, and what it, what it's meant, and, and and get up to speed really quick. And you then got to deliver that to players. As well. I shout out one of my teammates, listen, house, they call them what? I've so never heard a house because you said it to me right now. I've never heard a house. And one thing I always found was where was someone saying jacks, leave it through yeah. your leg. In Cork, that's the term for the toilet. Like, when, yeah. it's, it's, it's <laughs> same in Dublin. It's the same in Dublin. Yeah. Yeah. But like then when you were there, obviously like Brian Robson comes in, takes over as manager. What's your thoughts when he comes in? Like such a big character and such what he's achieved in the game, like especially a midfielder as well. Yeah, well, I'd um, Colin Todd signed me. And he got sacked after seven months. I did, I'd never got near anywhere near the first team. Lenny Lawrence took over. Had Lenny for two mm. years. He got promoted. Sorry, had Lenny for three years. Got promoted in the in the second season. Uh, and I made my debut. And I played about, I don't know, 15 games maybe in the Premier League. I felt like I was making headway. Um, and the following season was, was very big part. I was in and out. I wasn't really playing too much. And then Brian Robson came in and it was like, 
you could just sense the aura of the man and, and obviously who he was, what he had done, what he'd achieved. Um, he carried he carried himself in a, in a certain way. There was a presence about him, and you knew that he wasn't messing. You know, he wasn't he wasn't coming in to be um, an also ran. He was coming in to be a winner. And the caliber of player he was signing, I knew in my own head it was going to be more and more difficult to get into the team to prove mm. myself. But it was a hell of a hell of an experience. I mean, you hear all the stories about Robbo being a drinker and stuff like that. And don't be wrong, yeah. he, he loved to drink. Yeah, honestly, he loved to drink. Um, but Jesus, honest to God, you've, you've never seen anybody train like him. And bear in mind, he was 36, 37 coming to us. And he'd be top of the running. Um, he, he, there were some days you, you, you could smell a drink off him, if you like. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he, he would have had maybe four or five points, let's say. And my God, he'd be at the top of the running. Incredible, just an incredible athlete, incredible drive, desire. An unbelievable footballer. I, I was actually surprised how good he actually was. I, I thought he was a box-to-box midfield player who, who got goals. Mm. But he could dictate play. His range of passing was excellent. Um, his drive, his, 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 uh, his aggression, his awareness of the game, his game understanding. Everything, everything about him was just top, top, top class. And then on top of that, then he brings in all these wonderful players, your Emerson's, your Ravinelli's, your Janino's, Branco's. Um, and it's just the whole elevation of the club and the, and the mindset within the club changed. And Probably yeah. from from that era where you could have a drink after a game um, and it would be fine to have seven, eight, ten points, wherever it was, that, that was just seen as the norm. I mean, they used to have, they used to have beer on the bus every 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 away game coming home. To then that that change and that the mentality swing, if you like, because everybody was doing it. If you, and if you didn't keep up, you were being left behind. So, yeah, he brought a professionalism to the club that was, that was it just raised the bar again, if you like. So it was, uh, it was a really interesting time, yeah. See, you're saying he brings in like the new players, Ravinelli and stuff, and they were great players. But they ended up getting the club relegated then. Like, so do you think like you change it too quick? Sometimes you can just change the culture of a club too quick, you know? Yeah, I know what you're saying. They came the year after you left, wasn't it? Uh, Ravinelli came '96. Emerson came in. Yeah, Emerson came '96. Um, Janino came '95. So I, I was I was nearly playing the away games in the Premier League in '95, and Janino was playing the home games. Um, but he was he, he was phenomenal. Like for somebody so small, he was five foot six, five foot five. Like he was nothing. He was probably, I'm guessing he was if he if he was ten stone, he was he, he was lucky. But my God, the, the 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 strength of him, the aggression, the toughness of him, his ability to dribble and suck it in, wasn't really a brilliant trainer. If I'm being honest, he was he, he just had to do what he had to do on training. And you'd see flashes of brilliance. Games have come along. He was unbelievable. Ravinelli when he came in. Was a different animal completely. He was he was all about his body, very selfish. Um, as a striker, it was all about Rav. So if we got beaten three two and Rav scored two goals, Rav was happy. I'd be the same. Yeah, but I totally understand that mindset. But for somebody of his caliber coming into the club and what he was bringing, so he wasn't just bringing Ravinelli the player. He was bringing Ravinelli the European Cup winner, Ravinelli the Italian striker. Um. I think he'd got most goals in the Champions League the previous season. He was on an absolute fortune. Um, he got wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted at the football club. So you expected a bit more from him as a as a man and as a professional. And there, there would be a visible sulk. There would be a visible um, nature of being annoyed and frustrated and angry. And and you think, well, this is a, this is a team game. And, and I think in the end, that's sort of, that, that became a bit of a conflict amongst the players. And the games that he didn't score... That he didn't play as well 
the lads then he, he left himself open for criticism for the lads to be able to have a go with him and that's yeah. that's it that's ended up what happened at the, the cup final when I mean I wasn't there I'd left in the October but um I think him and Neil Cox had, had a fight on the bus on the way to the onto the way to the to the cup final. Um and it was it, it was just sort of downhill after that. Obviously the, the club had been relegated. Um but I think what it was really was was Steve Gibson putting a marker down to the rest of the Premier League saying look we might be little old Middlesbrough but we are going to pay big numbers. We are going to attract the best players to the club and we're going to try and get a foothold in the Premier League. And, and although we got relegated, the following season he reinvested, brought in Paul Merson again. He then he then kicked on again. And it was, look, for me at that stage, I'd moved to Stoke, but looking from afar at what he was doing and how Robbo was doing it. And, and, and going back to Robbo a bit, like just now from my own experience of, of being a manager, when, when I was saying he was having a beard and stuff like that, the pressure that he was under, not only then to sort of separate himself from the players within the dressing yeah. room, then become manager, to then be back in the dressing room, that must have been, and then have to go into a boardroom and speak to directors and chairman and, and then talk about budgets and talk to agents and everything else. The amount that was going on at that time, which we, we none of us had were, were privy to, we just thought Robbo sits in his office, probably gets a massage, yeah. then he comes down to trains and then he goes home and he does his own thing, so... It was a, it was a, it was a great time for to be a Middlesbrough player and to be a Middlesbrough fan, obviously as well. Yeah. Uh, you you're on about Stoke there. Um, how did that move come about? I know you went on loan there, of course. So what happened was uh, Lou McCarty was manager, and um, Brian Hobson just put me in the office one day and said, "Look, um, obviously we've signed all these players. You've played, I think it was 50 games. I think I played for the club." He says, um, "You can stay if you want, but there's an opportunity to go to Stoke on loan. What do you think?" And I was thinking. I don't really see a pathway I mean, really breaking in at Middlesbrough. And I, and I say this to quite a lot of players now. Um, I, I learned to become a professional at Middlesbrough, but I learned to become a seasoned pro at Stoke. So understanding what your body needs from a Saturday to a Tuesday. And, and, and that took time to, to be able to adjust to. And the fact that I was going to go there and play regularly and, and um, you know get exposure to championship football, um, all the games you're potentially going to play in the big crowds, the big the big uh, games, the big stadiums. It was it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. I went on loan, done really well. They signed me, paid five hundred grand. Uh, was two hundred fifty grand, then two hundred fifty grand went down on appearances, and um, and it was a really good move until I fell out with Lou McCarty. Uh, Lou was a Lou, Lou used to just run the run the, the balls out of you. It didn't matter if you won on a Saturday. When we used to go on the bus on a Friday. And Lou would be putting his bets on in the morning. So instead of us leaving at 10 o'clock or half 10, we might not leave till quarter 12. So we'd, we'd have been sat on the bus for an hour and three quarters. Lou would get back on the bus after having his um, his bets on. We'd arrive four hours, five hours later at the hotel. Obviously hitting all the traffic anyway, especially if we're going to London. Yeah. We get to the hotel, you go, right, get your kit on. Some of the hotels we used to stay on used to have golf courses. We used to run around the golf course on a Friday evening, night before the game. Then we'd go and win on the Saturday. So I never gave him the excuse that he was doing anything wrong. His, his mindset was all about toughness. It was, it was all about durability. It was all about working together as a team. But getting it from each other and getting it from yourselves, it wasn't, it was It was more, we weren't doing it for him. We were doing it because of him, if, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? We were doing it. Yeah, like it's you couldn't really kick up then if you're winning every week. He's got his defence. You couldn't go, this is an absolute shambles. That's what you're doing. Like, and then he goes, we win every week. What you want? Like. And then, and then we win on a Saturday and he just run the balls out again on the Monday. And, you know, so it was always just a bit of a, uh, playing games in my mind. But I mean, Leo ended up leaving and um, we ended up getting a, f- a few other managers. It, it, it weren't successful. It was, a, it was a transition period at Stoke because they were moving into the new stadium. There was, mm-hmm. All the money was being ploughed into the stadium rather than the team. 
and uh, and that was that was frustrating. But it, it was what it was. As I said, it was it was a, it was a learning curve for me in terms of the uh, the Saturday Tuesday of playing every week and trying to establish myself as a as a as a regular championship player. I gotta ask you because obviously a lot of people would know him, Chris Kamara. How how is he a manager? When you see him as a pundit, is it just chalk and cheese? The person you see as the pundit to the manager, or is he similar? No, not, not at all. No, Cammy Cammy's a great fella. I mean, um, in fairness, Cammy had some bad luck at Stoke, but I don't think he ever won a game. I think I think we had seventeen games and we had something like eleven or twelve draws uh, and four or five defeats. And he just couldn't he couldn't get a, he couldn't get a winning team. He couldn't keep the the same players on the pitch. There was a lot of injuries. But he used to train every day, um, and all he was interested in was Megs and, and scoring a goal. And if he if he got Megs and scored, he, he was happy. And he, he was exactly how he was as a as a pundit, you know, very bubbly, very honest, um, always in good form, always in in, in high spirits. And he he sort of he tried to generate that amongst the group. But I think when he started as slow as he did, the confidence strength from the group. We'd already lost the previous manager because obviously we weren't doing great. And I think that was the end of Cammy's, Cammy's uh, career, unfortunately. I've spoke to him a few times about it and said, you know, do you ever miss it? Do you regret it? And he went, no chance. He said, I have my dream job now. I'm able to see games. No no, uh, no pressure. I can enjoy it now and then I can go away and, 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 and relax on it on a Saturday evening rather than worry about the, the following game and the following result, you know? Yeah. Do you ever think, like, you say you go through a lot of managers there. Did you ever feel responsible for a manager losing his job or... Do you think, like, yeah. you know what, like he wouldn't feel responsible if he had to kick me out the door if I'm not performing? Well, that's tough luck. No, I, I did, yeah, I did. Uh, if I'm honest, I um, first person I'd always blame is myself. I'd always look in the mirror and say, because you can't feel yourself, you can't, you, you, you might be able to feel everybody else, but inwardly, you know, if you've played well, or inwardly, you know, if you've played poor, or, um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was frustrating, it was, um. I mean, don't be wrong. There was times when there was teams picked and, and shapes of teams picked that you were you were confused with a number of managers over the course of the years, especially against you're playing against certain opposition and thinking we're actually playing to their hands. I'd not, I wouldn't necessarily go and say anything to them, to them um, unless when I was captain, if I was asked, then obviously I'd, I'd voice my mm. opinion. But um, yeah, I, w- I would I would always feel like whoever it is, we've now as a group not been successful if he's lost his job because. You don't lose your job generally unless the team are, are losing games. So I did, yeah. And with regards to getting picked and getting and, and being left out and stuff, that's never nice. Um, you know, it's not a nice feeling, especially when you you, you, you train all week to play. You, you start gauging against where you are in comparison to where everyone else is. But really and truly, it's, it's nobody else you, you need to be looking at. You need to be looking at yourself, what, what you can do more. And um and in fairness, I think I've probably done that over the most of the majority of my career. And I think when I became manager, it was I think I'd like to tell the players um, why they're not playing. But sometimes then that goes against you because they, they they try and use it against you to say, well, he's not playing well. The excuse you give me, you could use against him. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just hard for courses, you know. When you're saying there, you're not playing the free. Did, did you ever just say, look, I'm I'm going out. I don't care anymore. I know for a few weeks if this is the way it's going to be, I'm trying. I'm just going to go out. No, did never. You know, lads in the team that would deal like that. It would be like that. No, I know lads who were playing in the team who were like that. Really? Uh, yeah, when I, when I was at Stoke, there was, there was players that used to frustrate the life out of me. And, and then you'd end up losing the head and training. And it wouldn't necessarily be about that particular moment. It would be about the culmination of things that were had gone on. And as you know yourself, fisticuffs, fisticuffs happen. And, you know, yeah, frustration lends itself to certain people or, or certain situations and it boils over. But... um. Yeah, I mean, there was times when I looked at players. I think the lower you play, the less professional 
less professional the players are. I think they think they're yeah. being professional. Um, and they are being professional in the sense that they're getting paid. But in terms of body fat, recovery, gym sessions, sleeping, eating, um, drinking, um, mindset, toughness, all of them things, you, you look and you go, the, the top players have it within them. And the, the, the lower league players have to have it dragged out of them. Not all of them, but I would say a lot mm-hmm. of them. And, and that's, that's a frustration, especially when you look at players. and you, A lot of fans or a lot of players you, 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 you talk about and say, well, he could play at a much higher level and he's got the talent to play at whatever. And, and to be honest, I would say there's probably, I don't know, I, I wouldn't put a number on, but let's say there's 20% of League One and League Two players who have the talent, probably even more than that, 40% have the talent to play Championship, Premier League football. But they never will because their, their mindset is, is fragile, it's weak. Um, it's against their nature to push themselves. It's it's like the, the comfort zone is, is quite an easy place to be and it'd be a big fish in a, in a, in a small pond. But um, yeah, I, I found that frustrating as a, as a player if, if I was in around somebody with that mindset, you know? Yeah, no, but I, I get where you're coming from. But like I played, obviously I played a lot lower than you. Um, like I tried to be professional, but sometimes I just think to myself, do you ever think when you're playing lower, you go, look, I'm not earning a lot of money here. I, I'm, deserved to, I'm entitled to have a life. But like lads at the top are like, I don't think they have excuses. If you're on hundreds of thousands, you can't be saying I deserve a life kind of. Well, you do in one sense, but in another sense, I think lower level lads, you have a bit of a leniency to be less professional. Like, yeah, I mean, to be, to be honest with you, um, I've never ever thought of it that way. And maybe, maybe when I was a manager, maybe I probably should have thought of it a little bit more that way um, and try and get into the mindset of the actual player. I always just seen it as achieving the highest level you can play at and and with that come sacrifice and put it, put it to the other end of the spectrum. So you look at the Premier League players and the pampered, you know, the M4 tunes, they all drive nice cars and everything else. But the sacrifice they give up for that you know, media, social media, um, games, whether it be Premier League or then whether it be <clears throat> Europe or Champions League or international football, they don't have a break. Then when they do have a break, they, they're expected to go in, play in the tournaments and, and God knows what. So they deserve everything they get. But likewise, getting there, they've, they've, they've really and truly sacrificed and, and they're, they're constantly pushing themselves. I look at the lower league players and, and I, I would always want players who would maybe managed or, or coached to be looking at themselves every day and saying, right, okay, well, what can I do more and how can I give more and where can I get more from myself? And it wouldn't necessarily always be tactical or technical. It could simply be getting an extra two hours sleep at night. You, you'd be able to focus more tomorrow. You'd be able to run more. Um, you know, lose, lose eight pounds. It'll do you. It'll do you. For, it'll save you. You know, you play more games over the course of the season, you get more appearance money, you get more bonus, you get more exposure to the chance of playing a higher level. So, yeah, so it just that that would start to frustrate me. I get where you're coming from totally, but um, yeah, it does and it would frustrate me as a, as a coach and a manager. Getting back to the Stoke, you know, then with the takeover, it's coming in 1998, they expand the company. The, the people start fearing, thinking what's going to happen. Were the lads in the dressing room going, where? Gone, no straight away, a new crow coming in, they won't want us here. Like, yeah, well, what happened was funny, yeah, um, funny you say that because what happened was uh, it was an Icelandic consortium that took over, and um, it was the Icelandic manager who, who, who um, the national manager who actually took us 
who took over the team. And he changed everything and didn't care about culture, didn't care about uh, English football, um, didn't care about the, the physicality of the demands, if you like, that were, that were placed amongst the group because of what the, what the championship does. Um, you know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Mm. And he used to, we used to train, honest to God, we used to train. Um, we never had a day off, and I mean never had a day off. So we were in Sunday for a warm down, an hour and a half. Um, Monday morning, afternoon. For the game Tuesday, you didn't do the afternoon session on the Monday. You'd play on the Tuesday. Um, you'd be in in the morning to do um, prep for the game. Wednesday was a cool down. The lads who didn't um, play would, would train and run. Thursday mm. Thursday morning and afternoon. Friday was morning and travel. Or Friday was morning and sleep. And then Saturday was game. And that was literally relentless. But all the Icelandics were coming in. The players, he brought in five or six players. And... There was one or two that were better than what we had, but the, there was four or five, three or four maybe that were, they weren't. And there was definitely favouritism. There was definitely uh, players playing on the back of the nationality that they had. And that, that was frustrating. Fortunately for me, I always played, but it got to the point where there was a little bit of resentment um, because of it. And that sort of, it lent itself one, one summer. One, we had one summer went away pre-season, took us to Iceland, funny enough. And um, he gave us a night out. And we, we hadn't been out for four weeks, whatever it was. Yeah. So the lads went mental, as you do. You know what I mean? A group of lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, turned out they'd sent a, a reporter and a photographer. And we, we didn't know, but it, it was sanctioned by the club and it was sanctioned by the manager. And uh, next of all, there was, there was a picture of me, Nicky Moan and somebody else on the front of their, their, mag- their equivalent of Hello magazine or whatever it was. And we got hauled in front of the manager. And was um, was absolutely slaughtered. How how dare you? You're out socialising in my country. You're representing the club. I'm like, well, you've given us a night out. You know, don't give us a night out. Then. Yeah. And um, and we started to fell out a little bit over it. I had been captain up to that point. He took the captaincy off me. And then a few things were said with regards to players and who was playing. And it probably got to the stage where I shouldn't have said what I said. But we we, we had a fall out. As it turned out, I ended up playing that season, doing really well. But there was always that bit hung over me where. That's happened. As soon as we can orchestrate for him to get out, we're going to make it happen. And that was like, don't be wrong. I wanted to leave as well. I'd been, I'd been at Stoke for five years, um, and enjoyed my time there. But it was, I think, I was becoming a bit stale within myself because I knew I needed a new challenge. I was, uh, the club had been relegated two seasons previous. So we were playing in League One. I wanted to go back to playing Premier League, and I ended up going to Cardiff. We were still in League One, but we got promoted. But the, the whole, the whole sort of venture, the whole package if you like that was that was put together by Cardiff and, and where they where their vision of the club was literally a no brainer so I wanted to go, you know. I got called a greedy bastard at Stoke every time I uh, <laughs> went back and uh and I and I still get stick now but yeah I wouldn't have changed it. Me, me, me time at Cardiff was amazing. But like you said they're the package obviously they offered you better wages and they had a better vision. Like why wouldn't you go? That would be my question if someone says to you you're training seven days a week I presume and someone's yeah. saying you'll train less, you're at a better club like well, better vision. I would say, and you're getting paid more money. Like, why? Where's the decision there to be made? Like, no, no, no. It was, it was literally. <clears throat> I sat with Sam, my man, and Alan Cork, who was uh, the manager, and uh, we just played in the playoffs, and um, we'd been beaten. I'd, I'd scored the night before. I played quite well. I got on the bus. My phone's gone, and um, Cardiff and Sam, my man, and Alan Cork want to meet you the next day, and I'm like, right, okay. My wife had arranged to go to London with a friend. Um, and I was, I was going to look after uh, Megan, my daughter. 
and spend some time with Meg. And um, so my wife went off in the morning. I said, look, we're not going to change our plans. You crack on. I'll look after the baby. And, uh, and we met met Sam and, and, um, and, and Alan Cork. And I think they seen me as a young, a young man, a young father, um, somebody with responsibility, somebody with drive, somebody with passion, and were telling me all about what they wanted, on top of obviously the fact they already wanted to sign me anyway. And they said, right, look, we're going to make you captain, we're going to build a team around you, we're going to bring in these players, you know, you're going to have a voice, you're going to be blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, right, well, everything I wanted to hear, except that the league they were playing in wasn't the league I wanted to be. And I said, okay, well, I sacrifice where I'm going to go for maybe a year or two years to get there and then get back to the Premier League. I mean, I used to say to my wife, we're still married now, I said, said to Ross, like, oh, I'm going to play in the Premier League. And she's like, you're 27 years of age. And I'm going, yeah, I am. And she's going, you're mad. Yeah, we are going to get back to the Premier League? I said, well, I am. I'm going to get back. And I don't know, I, don't know, I just had it with me. And look, fortunate enough, after doing well at Cardiff and, and, and all of that going really well, um, Wigan came call and end up getting promoted to Wigan and we end up getting back to the Premier League. But it all started from me sitting down with Sam and, and, and Corky and having that conversation. And them empowering me, if you like, you know, refreshing me, energising me, giving me a new challenge. Um, and yeah, it was it was, uh, it was good times, yeah, really good times. Did you have like other offers besides Cardiff? Uh, Newcastle had bid two and a half million with uh, Daglish was managed by all accounts. Um, Leeds had made an inquiry. There was, there, was, there was a few clubs that had, had, um, had asked about me, but for whatever reason, it was through the season and Stoke didn't want to let me go and um, they were they were sort of letting it run out and then I was coming to last year in my contract. At that stage, I was convinced I was going to I was going to go on free because the club hadn't... When I, when I seen the other players coming in on better better terms, better wages and listen, that was that was their choice good luck to them but I was... I felt I was the best player so I was thinking either off me new contract or sell me um, mm. and... They didn't do either, and that, that frustrated me. And I just thought, right, I'm, I'm running to stand still here. I'm not moving forward. You know, I'm giving me all, but I don't feel like we're um, or really sort of getting anywhere. So I was like, right, okay. And then when Cardiff came in and actually to sit across the table and be be real to to you know, it was this is happening. This is where we're going to be. This is this is when we want you over. This is when we want you to sign. This is what the terms are. Um, you're going to be captain. Blah blah blah. And, Everything was was done really quickly and it was very professional and it was it, it sort of re, as I said re-energised me and just gave me that buzz again. See, when you said to me that Newcastle move, did you try not try and force that a bit more? And I would have been knocking doors and kicking down. I would have been driving. You could have done uh, what was that lad for QPR drive up outside the ground and just hope that they. Yeah, them. yeah. No, it, it was different back then because um, what happened was so obviously now with social media, you know, there's always somebody who knows something who there will put it on Twitter, Instagram. Snapchat, mm. whatever it is. Um, and somebody always gets to find out. How I actually found out was a guy who used to play with Middlesbrough who was doing some agency work. He found me. It wasn't it wasn't my agent. He just found me out of blue and said, um, uh, by the way, Newcastle are interesting. And, uh, and I said, really? Yeah. And I said, okay, right, fine. So I got my agent to, to ask the question. And he says, yeah, look, they've made an inquiry. They've, they've been asked uh, what the figure was. They were prepared to go to this figure. And the club wanted more. And I was like, well, when did this happen? And it's, let's say it happened two weeks ago. So I'm now like, well, has it been quashed? Do I go and see the manager? Do I kick up a fuss? Obviously, I'm not supposed to know that information. But it was, yeah, it was. And as well, I, I, I always felt like it wasn't for me to push that. And, and if it was going to happen, you know, there was two parties. Well, there was three parties. There was a buying club, the selling club, and me having to make the decision. And because the selling club being, being, um, being Stoke, 
had decided they weren't selling me. To, it wasn't really a case for me to, to push it. That's the way I felt at the time. I know players nowadays become more uh, aggressive, if you like, in the manner in which they, yeah. they force a move, but it didn't really happen then in that way. I, I, I don't really remember a player who, who'd done that at that stage, so I wouldn't, I w- it wouldn't have been up my street to do that, to be honest. So there was no actual, you know, I would say there'd normally be a bit of tapping up first, like where the club would bring your agent, they wouldn't go directly to Stoke. So Newcastle actually went the proper route, but surely nowadays it's all, we'll ring your agent first, see if you're interested, and then we'll get the club, and then the pressure comes. It was at the time when, um, I don't know if you remember the, the, the player, I actually played in my Cardiff, but a lad, Des Hamilton, had left Bradford. So he, he left Brad, Bradford for, I think, a million and a half, or 1.75 million. And it was the same time. Um, it was either me they were going to sign, it was Des. And I don't know if they made the inquiry, it was two and a half million quid um, that was offered and, and they wanted more. And they thought, right, well, the cheaper option is Des at 1.75 million. So yeah. I don't know if my agent rang and thought, well, um, well, they've already filled that place now. They could have had you two weeks ago. But Des is now signed. So that's now dead in the water anyway. So no point crying over spilled milk. Let's move on, you know. Like I remember when yeah. uh, Gary, remember Gary Maxim was manager, and I, I was playing okay, but I wasn't playing brilliant. And uh, he actually had a team meeting one of the days, and he says, uh, "He says there's a player in this dressing room. If he gets his finger out, Fulham will sign him tomorrow." And everybody looked at me because I've been impressed that morning that I was uh, that Fulham were telling me like, and I'm thinking, is he trying to motivate me here? Is he trying to? Does he want me to antagonize? Is he antagonizing me? Does he want me to yeah. react? Does he want me to get? Is he trying to get a performance out of me? And if he does get a performance out of me, we play well and we win. Is he going to sell me or is he not going to sell me? So, this is all twenty minutes before the game, by the way. And I'm sitting there thinking, where's my future? Is that Stoke? Is that, yeah. is that a foot? Then I'm thinking, are you at the game? Are you in the stand? And so it, it was. A, it, there was loads of valuable lessons that I learned along the way as like becoming a professional footballer. Sorry, becoming a seasoned footballer. And the tabloids, the media. It was all show. It was all, you know, ignore it. And it's even worse now because of social media. But back then, it was in the paper. There seemed, there seemed to be certain about the truth in it. So, uh, so yeah. So you had to come to terms. With that. And then also, you had the media, your local media, and your and your teammates and your fans. The fans asking, "Are you moving? Are you going?" I'm like, I don't know anything about it. You know. So, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a, it was a time of learning, I suppose. Would your highlight with Cardiff then be the promotion in Cardiff Stadium as well? Yeah, incredible, incredible. What difference did that make being in Cardiff as well? Like the pressure as well, I suppose, leading up to that point, you know, was there a lot more pressure? Yeah, it was ridiculous, yeah. I mean, we'd missed out the year before getting beaten off Stoke, funny enough. All the Stoke fans will tell you that they were right to sell me, which they were fine. But I scored 16 goals that season. It was my most prolific season in terms of goals. Uh, I got player of the year, done well and stuff. But we got, ultimately, we, we failed because we got beaten off Stoke in the, in the playoffs. We were actually beating them 3-0, I think it was. 3-1, no, 3-1 it was, uh, in the 90th minute at their place. And he played eight minutes overtime. They scored in the eighth minute to make it 3-2. And, uh, and we ended up getting beaten at home, 1-0, went to extra time. And then they scored literally with about two minutes to go. Uh, but we, ne- we never played in the night. We, we saw the, we're at home, fans, the, the pressure mounted. And we some, some of the players just weren't able to handle it. And, we, and we, we, didn't, mm. we didn't perform well as a team. But then the following season, we, we more or less had to get promoted. So going to Millennium Stadium, we played QPR that season, beat them 5-0 away, beat them 2-0 at home, but they were on a really good run coming into the playoffs. Um, Wembley, or sorry, Wembley, Millennium Stadium, whatever it was, 80,000, 85,000 people, 50,000 McCarthy fans, 25,000 QPR fans, and it was, to be honest, it was a shy game, it wasn't a great game, it was, it was quite tense, the game, and then Andy Campbell scored an unbelievable goal. 
And to be honest, the relief after, um, I remember getting into the bat. There was a bat here, and I said, there's a bat there, Willie Bowling in the bat beside it. And for all the elation I thought I would have felt, it was just relief. I was exhausted. The season had ended. I was like, thanks be to God, we got, got it over the line, we got it done, you know. But the fans were the fans were incredible. And the passion that the Welsh fans show is, is because there's a bit of a, well, there's not a bit, there's a huge amount of begrudgery and uh, hatred, if you like, towards the English and and vice versa. Probably similar to the Irish and the English, if you like, but but on a different level, the Welsh hate the English like you wouldn't believe. Um, I'd never experienced anything like it, to be honest. And yeah, it was it was uh, it was intense, but brilliant time, great fans, great great club, uh, and absolutely loved it. Do you have many English lads in the team with Cardiff that are like, oh my god, do they feel not welcome then? Like, or is it like if you're signed for us, you're alright? Like. Well, I'll tell you a true story. This is honest to God. The very first day I signed, right, there was there was a, a media. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking there's going to be three or four journalists. Honest to God, there was about 20 journalists, right? And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, have I, have I actually signed for Real Madrid here? Have I signed for Cardiff? Right? <laughs> so uh, I'm sitting there. I'm sitting with Sam Man, the manager, and I'm in the middle. And they're asking questions. And one of the reporters goes, I've got a question. And this is honest to God, I mean, kids life, this is what he said. He says, um, Cav, it's great to have uh, an Irishman on board, another Celt, and he paused. Right, he says, "Because if you had been English, you just would have been a." <laughs> and I literally, I literally was like, as he just said that, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And that was that was the mindset that the Welsh had towards the English. And I was like, "Jesus!" It was like proper proper hate. So anybody who came, um, you know, there was there was real nasty rivalry between Cardiff and Swansea. Cardiff and Wrexham was was okay, but Wrexham, we didn't play Wrexham too often. But see, when the English teams used to come in, especially the bigger English teams, like your Leeds, like them, the, the Cardiff fans used to just, the hostile atmosphere, the intim, intimidation, the, it, was, it was it was incredible, honest to God. I've never played in, in atmospheres like it. It was, it was mental, but, uh, but yeah, so some of the English lads in the dressing room just had, had to accept it. It was what it was. Um, I wouldn't be signing there like if I was English I'd be like after hearing what the, that journalist said I'd be like no chance I'm going there yeah well, it was, I, was, I was very glad to be Irish anyway that's all I'm saying <laughs> oh my god so you you spoke about Wigan then you got to move back into the Premier League how did you find the standard the minute you go into the Premier League obviously Wigan were massive underdogs going in that season yeah well, I'll tell you a funny story how the, how the Cardiff thing how the Wigan thing happened was we, we financially went into a bad bad position at uh, the club had overspent. You're broke. Yeah. Big move. Your wages. <laughs> yeah. Promotion bonus. Yeah. Well, we won't talk about that. But yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, I get told I'm getting sold. So I end up getting sold, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go join Wigan. So uh, we agree everything with Wigan. Fine. And then you know, it's like you have to sign by Friday, twelve o'clock. Back in the day, there wasn't a transfer window. Mm. So I, uh, I end up getting a helicopter, and they flew me in a helicopter up to Wigan, land on the training ground. All the players are thinking. Who would have we signed? Like, who the fuck would we sign? Yeah, yeah. And then I get out of the helicopter thinking, who in the name of God is this fella? So, and <laughs> uh, anyway, I did then go and train. And um, in fairness, the standards, the standard Wigan was 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 very good. The, the players, really, some really good players. But what I noticed straight away was the camaraderie and the team spirit was 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 unique. Really, it was um, it was magnificent. The manager Paul Jewell had created a really good group. Um. And with about, I think I played 18 games, or whatever it was, or 20 games, I can't remember, uh, that season to get promoted. And then we're going to the Premier League. And the Premier League season was just, my first game of the season with Chelsea at home. 
they Mourinho was manager. Crespo, last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Crespo, last minute. I was injured, funny enough. I I, I'd, uh, I taught me plantar fascia in my foot. So I was out for the first two games. And we got beaten 1 0 at home to uh, Chelsea. And then we got beaten 2 0 away at Charlton. And Paul Gill says to me, um, Are you fit? And I says, I'm not really, but obviously I want to be. And he said, Would you have an injection? I said, Of course I will. Yes, yeah. so I had an injection. Uh, we played West Brom. We won. I think we won 3-2 or 3-1 or maybe 2-1 I can't remember we won anyway then we played next game we won and we, we ended up going on I think it was a 9 or 11 game unbeaten run and we ended up being second in the table and it was all just basically through hard work and it was like we used to get the stats on a Monday for you know kilometres run sprint distance um, high intensity runs all that carry on and we were top in the Premier League week in week out for 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 running and the reason being we had to because we, we weren't good enough to compete mm. against the best teams who had the ball, had possession of the ball. We were always chasing, recovering into a shape, being narrow, um, and being hard to, be- hard to beat and to break down. What would be Paul Jules' team talks? You know, when you are going against United and stuff, would you actually be realistic going, lads, if we get out of here with a good, like, any kind of result, whoa, like, where you ain't got good? You know, was it was it actually your honesty of admitting, lads, we're not good enough? He never said that. I'll tell you what I'll tell you what he done, which was very clever. He, um, he knew we had let's say, 16 players that he could trust. And he had maybe maybe 18 players he could trust, but maybe 14 that he would he would rely on. And within that 11, he could rotate two or three, let's say. Um, it might weaken the team ever so slightly, but it wouldn't make the team like, phenomenally different. Mm. So what he done was, he looked at the, the, the games. First game, he went with the best team he could possibly put on. Uh, from 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 who was available, and realised against Chelsea that you know it only takes one chance to score, we get beaten. So when we went on the great run, we came to a period in mid November, it's the early part of December, where we played we played Chelsea away on the Saturday, we played Man United away on the Wednesday, and then we played Liverpool Liverpool away on the following Saturday. So it was three games away against the top three teams, and what he done was rested players within the group mm. for the Chelsea game I, I played in the Chelsea game didn't start the Man United game um, come on the Man United game then started the, the, the game Anfield but he'd done that across the, the period and when the three games were finished he said lads I never expected us to get any game, any any wins in there I would have seen them as bonuses now we never said that, that to us prior to the game obviously he went about his game as if he would his game prep his organisation his team taught his, his team shape uh, he'd done on the, on the day before the game very meticulous, very detailed. We'd have a certain way we we're going to play, which we didn't really vary from too much. But if there was a, a fullback or, um, you know, if they were vulnerable crosses or however it would be, if, if the wingers didn't track back in and get narrow, we'd, we'd exploit yeah. them in areas to try to create overloads in, in certain areas. And, and that wouldn't change. He, he would be very meticulous in, in, in that regard. But he never, he never let on to us that we were never going to be prepared or able to compete. He always felt that we were. And, um, and yeah, I think that that just rubbed off on us, and, and and it was a it was a brilliant season, full of uh, full of more highs than lows, if you like. And you got to the league cup final, four uh, 0 to United. Do you actually feel confident of winning that, or did you just think like we got to the final, like we're going to be here to participate? I know you'd never win with that, but realistically, that United team that at that time was probably one of the best in the Premier League era. No, we didn't think that to be honest. We actually thought we'd win. We played Arsenal away. We played Arsenal at home the first, in the first leg of the semi-final and we won 2-1, I think it was. 
and we, we actually comfortably won the game. We, we, we they had rested a few, rested a few players, we rested Bearcamp, Van Persie, and might even Fabregas. So when we played in the Highbury, they, they played all the big guns. Everybody played, and the team was phenomenal. Anyway, we were getting beaten one nil. Um, Van Persie sticks from right in the top man. Uh, one nil, and they're thinking, right, game on. And we're probably thinking, fucking, we're, we're going to struggle here getting getting anything from the game. But obviously, we keep fighting, keep keep playing, get the mm-hmm. full time. We got the extra time, and uh, we basically scored with about two or three minutes of the of the game to go. And we had chances in the game. We didn't have loads of chances. But we kept catching them on the counter attack, and uh, and we, we scored and we won. Anyway, in fairness to Arsenal, we got on the bus after the game. Uh, everyone was delighted. All the lads are buzzing. And they brought on um, four tr- four crates of champagne. And it was all Arsenal champagne. It must have been the man of matches that they had. And they said, lads, they were, um, we were expecting to be drinking these tonight. They were all on ice for us to, to drink. Yeah. We won't be drinking them now. You may as well have them. I thought it was really classy touch by Arsenal to do that. So we we were steaming all the way home on the bus. Oh, I swear to God, the lads, the crack we had in the bus on the way home was, was probably the best bus journey I've ever had. The lads were doing all sorts and stripping off, and there was just mad stuff going on. It was it was hilarious, but um, funny enough, that was on the Tuesday. Had the Wednesday off. The lads were exhausted. I think I ran sixteen and a half kilometers in the game. Something ridiculous, right? So I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. We did the Thursday. Bear in mind, Paul Jill had said to us, uh, "You can all have a drink." We get in the canteen. We're all sitting down. He says, "Right, lads, I want to congratulate you on Tuesday." But by the way, what a uh, big time bunch of sounds! I was right, nail, nail us all. I'm like. What? Because you think we're going to coast now to the final and you lot are going to be playing because you played well against Arsenal, got to a final. You have another thing coming. So we went out and ran us on the tours there, right? Now, didn't run us loads, but ran us enough to make us think, Jesus Christ, brought us right back down to earth. And was he on the bus on the way back? He was on the bus. He let it all happen. So that's why we were right, all like... That, that, that annoys me, boys. Doesn't he just put a stop to it there and then? like, and just... No, no, because this is... See, this is this is this was this is what he done, and this is why he was this is why I thought he was very clever. He was making a point, right? You've enjoyed yourselves. Mm. Uh, we've achieved nothing. We've we, we we haven't even stayed up in the in the league yet. That's a bonus. Um, you know, you've had your night and Tuesday night. We're back to 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 facing a normal Thursday, which we're looking forward to Saturday. If I get the impression of any one of you or of the group that you're you're resting on your laurels and you're you're coasting to the final, you won't play, and uh, and you won't be playing the Premier League either. So every one of us had to look and thought, right, well, I'm not going to be the one to let him down. I'm not going to be the one to let my teammate down. Yeah. Right, we're back on it. And there was, a re, there was a refocus, if you like. The League Cup final itself was was an embarrassment, to be honest. It was, um, I'll tell you a funny story about it. And, and, and this this was actually, this is how it went and how it played out. We, um, we played the League Cup final. We get beaten 4-0. And literally, I, I couldn't wait to get off the pitch. It was embarrassing. Biggest game of my life. Biggest, biggest TV audience, biggest crowd, if you like, and uh, and we get embarrassed. We have a party after the game planned in the hotel. Everybody was like, nobody wants to have a party. Uh, there was family there, so anyway, every, everyone ended up going having a meal, having a few drinks. Next morning, I'm up, I'm, I'm off for playing Portugal on a Wednesday. So Ronaldo had just played in the game. John O'Shea had played in the game, and now I'm going to meet up with John O'Shea. I actually roomed him, so that was even more embarrassing. Anyway, it is what it is. So we played we play Portugal on Wednesday and we beat them 1-0. And uh, Ronaldo played. So we, I get back on the plane towards the morning, back to the UK, go to train on Friday morning. We're all sitting around. We're now playing Man United the following Monday, live on Sky. So um, Arian Dazil, the captain, goes, anybody watch the game the weekend, our game? 
and the lads were like, no, no, no. And there was, and there was, a, there was a period in the game where Ronaldo gets the ball and he keeps it up about four or five times across the pitch. Henri Cameras tries to smash him. Jason Roberts tries to smash him. There was a couple of others tried to kick him. Didn't get near him. So he was showboating at this stage, winning 2-0. So Artie goes, I'm not having that. He says, who the fuck does he think he is, basically? Mm-hmm. And uh, the lads all said, right, I'll tell you what we do. We all put some money in the pot. Force one to nail him. Takes the money. So we all agreed to figure that we're all going to put in. I'm thinking, send him his field. I've got a right good chance of nailing him. Yeah. <laughs> So the yellow card. Yeah, right. So and and very rarely back then, like you, you would get a yellow card in the four, six, seven, eight minutes. You know what I mean? So uh, anyway, the tip off. Rooney plays the ball to uh, Zaha. Zaha plays the ball back to Giggs. Giggs pings the ball right wing. Ronaldo takes a touch, and Arian Dzeko just mullers him. And as he mullered him, he just done that right. And we all knew that he meant he took the money. <laughs> I'm yeah. thinking the game's only three seconds old or four seconds old. I've lost my money, right? So I'm fuming. So uh, I end up getting my own back and kicked Ronaldo in the game. Um, and end up smashing him and he got up. And I, that was when, at that stage, I couldn't believe how tough he was, how strong he was. And at that stage, yeah. I used to go around the ground and everybody used to think he was he, he was soft. He was far from soft. He was he was an incredible. And is still an incredible player. But um, yeah, he was he was unbelievable. But we, we, we were winning that game 1-0 until the last last two minutes, I think it was. And they ended up beating us 2-1 in extra time. But I would have much preferred to have given that type of a showing of ourselves. Yeah. In comparison to the one that we did. Like, Again, like the managers always say that, like leave the mark in early, like on a player in the cup final. And then do you think you were just nervous and it was just like a kind of overall? So, in one sense, when you're having that celebration on the bus against Arsenal, going, look, we've got to a final, that's great. Like, and I know you say, like, oh, we still thought we could win it, but something showing in the back of your head is just thinking, look, it's just great to be here. And then you didn't perform in the day, like, yeah, well, what, what, there was an incident that happened in the game. So we, we started the game and it was about eight minutes old and the ball got played back to um, Mike Pollard, our goalkeeper. He kicked it and as he kicked it, he pulled his hamstring, went down on the ground and that started just, that started to send shockwaves a little bit through the team. Yeah. Brought on John Foyle and Foyle was a good keeper, but he wasn't the same size as Polly. He didn't really come for crosses. Um, they had uh, Zaha, uh, Louis Zaha, sorry, uh, he was placed on a forward. Honest to God, he, he could jump the height to save. Not, I thought he had Velcro on his chest. He used to jump, ball to stick to his chest. He'd land. He was so powerful and quick. Um, but he was like attacking crosses and stuff. So straight away, we felt like we were on the back foot. Fido hadn't played in a long while. So I don't know if we end up dropping off a little bit too much and then get them more space to play in. And then they just played around us. And then they obviously had the likes of Rooney, Ronaldo, Rio Ferdinand, Giggs, Scott. Like, they were just an incredible, incredible team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so we we sort of we didn't perform any near the levels we could have done, and yeah, big, still still the biggest disappointment in your career by by a long way. And then the move to Sunderland happens. Why did you decide to leave Wigan? I didn't really decide. What happened was we were away playing Germany for Ireland, and uh, I was in bed. Get a phone call quarter to seven in the morning off Paul Joe, and he just said, "Look, uh, I've had Roy Keane on the phone. He's made a very good offer for you. You're thirty-two now. Uh, you've given us great service." And I'm prepared to let you go. I don't want to let you go. But um, I'm just giving you the, the option. If you say you're going to stay in five-year place, then great. And I knew the fact that he had said to me, if you're going to stay in five-year place, he was looking to bring... He'd already brought yeah. in a lad, Danny Lanza, who was a, a Dutch international. And, and I felt I was a better player than Denny, but he had paid big money for him. I think he paid three million quid for him at the time. Four million quid, whatever it was. And um, I knew we would have had to justify paying the money. 
And I'm thinking, I have the opportunity to go and play with Roy at Sunderland. Sunderland's a massive club. Roy played with the Irish team. Unbelievable player. Unbelievable character. Um, and yet, the, the opportunity to go, and, to go and, I suppose, I just went right. You know, I, I'll regret this for the rest of my life. I don't go and take the opportunity. So I went and signed for Roy and uh, Sunderland. And it, it certainly didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Um, but it was it was a, an unbelievable experience all the way through. Like, yeah, you say Roy the player. What's the difference between Roy the player and Roy the manager then? Roy the player and Roy the manager, the difference uh, is Roy the player can have a, a massive impact on the game. Roy the manager became very frustrated that he couldn't. And that would lend itself to aggression. Like, um, you know, he was, uh, what's the best way of putting it? He, he, he probably wasn't always consistent with, with his, uh, his criticism or, or his delivery or um, he, he could just have, his mood could change very quickly because, uh, listen, I didn't know at the time, only based on now being a manager previously, you know, you have so much more going on as a manager because you're dealing with, you know, directors, chairman, agents, players, physios, um, you know, the financial, financial aspect, the media aspect, um, you know, budgets. There's, there's so much that goes on to being a manager. So I don't know if that then lent itself to when he come onto the pitch, frustration he might have up in the office, he would see a small detail and that would absolutely nail players, um, send players in from training. There, there was loads of stuff. Then there was when days... When send them players in for training for what, like? For not doing something right technically or something, sending someone in. No, so we do. No, so we do like let's say eleven by eleven or something like that, and then um, uh, he he get it in his head that the player hadn't performed to the level he wanted to. Not because he wasn't trying, just because he, he hadn't, and he got right. You can get yourself away, and he send them in. So it was like demoralising for the player. It was, uh, mm. you know, it was it was just things. He just yeah, it was. I think Roy was just frustrated with the fact that we weren't as good as him, and yeah. Even even when he trained, Roy was by far the best player. I mean, the, the physio, I think, at the time, had said to him, would you not have the operation? Because he needed another um, he needed another hip-hop and he would have been out probably for six months, eight months. But he certainly could have impacted and played in our team and he would have still been the best player. But he said, no, he wasn't going to do it. He was going to concentrate on being a manager. But he, as I say, he used to train every day um, and the tempo training was, was incredible. His ideas were very good. Um... You know, the way training was, the professionalism, the way we travelled, the way we ate, the way we recovered. Um, everything about him was just was top class, was absolutely top class. But I think, as I say, the frustration was that he couldn't, he, we we as a team, individually or collectively, couldn't do what he wanted. I mean, simple thing, very first day and he comes in, to, we played Derby away and uh, we're getting beaten 1-0. And we played particularly well, we, we played very well. And he was he was unbelievably calm. Gave a few details about how we could get down the side of them, um, and turned out exactly what he said would happen. We, we it did actually happen. And I remember sitting there thinking, Roy's Roy's a, a genius. I think if Roy had kept that mindset, sorry, that calmness, yeah. he would have he would have had much better results, if you like, from the the group. Now, don't get me wrong. That season we ended up getting promoted. Yeah. We, we made a few really good signings. Uh, he brought in John Evans um, and Danny Simpson from from Man United, Bolton from Man United, who were really set the strong bedrocks in the back four, done really well, were learning their trade, but were very, very good players. But then he dropped hate the, the, the team around and like, 
there was there was there was stuff like he Liam Miller would score a lot of less than Liam would score, play really well. He'd leave him out the next game, bring Dwight York in. Dwight York would score. He'd leave him out the next game. He'd bring somebody else in. Mm. And, he, and I'm thinking, well, what is he saying? And how is he actually getting this this momentum? Where's he? Where, what's he saying through the week? That's how he knows we're going to win if he plays a certain way. But um, that got us promoted. Then the following season, he, he tried to go big with the players and the signings that we had that we were bringing in, but just couldn't elevate the club to that next level. He was there. Uh, I think, I think that really frustrated him as well, you know. It's strange because from what you're saying, from him getting frustrated with players, you'd actually think he would have done better in the Premier Division with a better quality, no disrespect to the lads in the Championship. Like, you think he'd be a better manager with a better quality of player. Like, from what you're telling me, I'm thinking, geez, he'd be, yeah. he'd be great as a, a, top, a top club. He'd actually deal better with players who, like, put that demand on themselves. Well, it's, it's, to be honest, his frustration was still exactly the same when he had the better players, but the better players weren't the calibre of player that he was surrounded with when he was at Man United. So I think, I remember having a conversation with Paul Jill and when we got to the Premier League, he said, attracting players to a club like Wigan is very, very difficult anyway. Attracting Premier League players or established Premier League players or international players to a promoted team is very difficult because the player doesn't want to go there. He wants to go to somewhere tried and, tried and trusted. So mm. you either have to pay him over the odds to get him into the building, which obviously can disrupt the mindset and the group and the mentality within the group because everyone's thinking, well, he's only coming for the money. Um, or he just doesn't come. Now, I think at Sunderland, Roy was in for all sorts of players. But again, because we'd just been promoted, because it was the northeast of England, um, probably because we weren't paying the 90s and 100 grand a week and 80 grand a week that, you know, your, your Newcastle's in, you know, your established clubs, your Blackburns and wherever else would have been paying. I think he had to settle for the next tier of player. Yeah. He probably felt he was paying over the odds for these players that they weren't actually the level that he would like to get to. And I think that frustration, I don't know, no, I'm just thinking from a from um a manager manager's perspective and, and, and how he sort of became frustrated in the group, you know what I mean? So yeah, he was he, he um although he was very successful at, at Sunderland, I think his is his frustration at times he probably could have been more more successful like. I remember I actually went and tried to Sunderland and I always kind of tell people this story. I can remember being in the dressing room and it was a trial game against St. Pat's and you were actually in the Sunderland dressing room. I thought it was so strange. I just wanted to get a hold of the rest of this goal. And you were putting on the kit and everything, getting ready to go to St. Pat's and then next thing your phone rings and you walked out the door, came back in, just went, right, lads, I'm off. Sheffield Wednesday on loan. And I was like, how do you just decide within that second without like your wife, everything, like your life is just changing? Because that's a big difference in location and everything. Like, how does that happen yeah. so quick? I was shocked by how quick it happened from going to play a game to like literally gone. Well, I, I, I had fallen out big style with Roy. Uh, what happened was it signed. Um, so I was at Wigan and we played a pre-season game and long and short, I ended up going for this tackle with the lad and this lad was got to the ball before me, and as I got to the ball, I was I was just slightly late, and he caught me foot, and me, me left knee went back. Anyway, I ended up tearing my cartilage. Didn't think too much of it because I carried on playing and I and I continued to play. So I done my medical at, at Sunderland. They highlighted on the medical and they said, "Have you got an issue with your knee?" And I said, "No, uh, I've played all the games which I had." Six weeks later, we're playing Ipswich away. I tear the cartilage. I'm out for eight weeks. Uh, I was sorry, I was supposed to be out for eight weeks. And then Roy comes in after about 10 days into the physio room 
this was Roy, this is how we how we how we could be. He walks in one morning just completely out of blue and says, uh, any of you lock on a fucking try and get fit or what? Uh, I don't see any any one of you is busting the gut. So me being me, I was fuming and I was like, right, I'd prove him wrong. So I says the physio, right, I'm training tomorrow. He goes, You can't train, you've only, you're only ten days after nap, twelve days after nap. I says, uh, fuck I'm alright, I'll, I'll be I'll get you on fine. Train the next day, I actually trained really, really well. Roy's going, How are you feeling? You all right? I says, Yeah, I'm grand, yeah. Now, bear in mind, I was 30, 32 at the time, 33. Mm. I, should have known, I should have known better, but I, I wanted to prove him wrong and I wanted to, you know, say, well, fuck you, don't ever accuse me of that again. Yeah. Next day, after training, my knee went up like a balloon. I, I was out there for about four five weeks. Um, came back and then Roy started having the dig. It was like, are oh, you going to be able to train today? Are you, uh, you know, you're going to break down? And he was constantly just a little niggle. He left it about two weeks and then I go back into the team, played all the way up to Christmas and we get we get Christmas Day and he gives us Christmas Day off and we, we very rarely got a day off. We're always in Saturdays and Sundays. So um, I'm thinking, we're playing Leeds tomorrow. I can't have my Christmas dinner and not have a sweat on. So I go for a run around the estate mm. and uh, as I go and run, literally just running, come down a path, land on my knee. I don't mean land on my knee, just land on my foot, but run. End up taking the cartilage off the, the knee and I'm out. So basically, that's my season over. I didn't know that at the time, but I didn't know that. I was going to be out for 14 months after that. So I had this serious operation, they do a microfracture, they drill the knee, all that carry on. But I went the next day anyway, tried to, I took a load of ibuprofen, thinking I could get through it. Um, Roy slaughters me in the dressing room, slaughters me in his office. Me and him are nearly coming to blows. Um and it is what it is. We're just having, you know, he's frustrated. I understand that he's, he's a manager. He wants the best. Did you tell him we've done it just out running on the road? Yeah, yeah. And his, his, his reaction to me was, um, you uh, you can never be told. He says, you always think you know best. And I was like, I know best. It's Christmas Day. We always train Christmas Day. I didn't. Now, if I'd have trained Christmas Day, I'm sure I would have done my knee anyway. Yeah. But it would have been more acceptable to him if he'd have done it at the, at the training ground See, than actually doing it. That's me. I'm going in. What a lot of players would do is like instead of going, I did a run and you just go into a training session, do a little warm, but oh, I felt something in my knee. Yeah, but I, I knew the next day, um, if I'd have done that in the in the in the warm, which I could have done. To be honest, I just wanted to own it. I just wanted to own what I do. Like I'd, I hadn't done, I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't. Been misbehaving, I've been out on a night out and falling and, and dominating. I hadn't done any of that. I, was, I just thought, right, it is what it is. And I didn't think I was going to be out for the period of time I was out. I actually thought, yeah, if I have another clean up, because I thought maybe it was to do with the fact that I'd come back too early. But um, anyway, so get to the end of the of that of the that season, we get promoted. I didn't play any more games. Uh, end up training with the first team towards the end of the season, but my knee didn't feel right. Get through the summer, I'm running on my knee. I was fine running straight lines, but it was, it was difficult turning left and right. And we do like uh, 11 11. And this one of the games he actually sent me in. He, he, it was the only game he ever sent me. He, went, he sent the, the, the assistant manager off. He says, Tell Cav he's done. I didn't know at the time, but what he meant was I was done actually, and I was done in his head. So he sent me in. I'm fuming in the dressing room. Well, I go and see him. I'm not going to see him. What I do? I thought, no, I'm leaving. But it took me another sort of four months, three months maybe. And my knee actually started to improve. started to feel a little better. I was able to do what I, was, what I used to be able to do. I, couldn't, I didn't have the spring off my left side that I had before, but. I was starting to get back fit anyway. And one of my first games back was, was, was against Pats. I was going to be against Pats. Mm. I think it was around the end of January. And literally he comes in and says, right, or somebody come in, I can't remember if it was Roy or whoever it was, Chevy Wednesday wants to take it alone. Are you going to go or not? 
and I remember thinking, four-team football championship, Sheffield Wednesday, massive club. Yeah, I'm done. That, that's me, right? I know he doesn't fancy me anymore. Um, I'm gone. So I went, and then Roy put in the press that if he does well, I'll go and see him, and we'll bring him back, and he can, uh, we'll get him back in the team. Comes and sees me against Everton in the club, play, play quite well. And uh, he says, um, he, t- he brings me back, come back off loan like great, and he doesn't play me, doesn't, doesn't have me involved. I'm, I'm on the bench one night against Man City away. He has a go at me for changing my boots from um, rubbers to studs in front of the whole dressing room. Blame me, and we got beat one nil. I never even got on the pitch. Blame me after the game and said, uh, I spread negativity to the dressing room. Uh, we're changing my boots. <laughs> and he, was like, he, said to, uh, he said to Michael Chopper, it was actually a funny story. He said to Michael Chopper, he says, uh, he goes, and you, he says, since when have you qualified as a physio? And Chopper went, what do you mean? Like, he goes, I've seen you come in after, uh, between the warm up and you start doing your own, uh, your own strappings. He says, I won't, I won't use the choice of words he used, but he goes, why do I pay him as if physio when you're doing it yourself? And he nailed chops, I mean, nailed chops. And everyone was just sitting thinking, like, who's next? Who, where's he going with this? I think I got it next. It was all because of me, because I was negative and I'd spread, you know, um, negativity. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was just Roy. You just had to take him as he was and he was frustrated and he was, I mean, I have an awful lot of respect for Roy as a man and as a manager and what he's doing and everything else. And we've seen each other many a times um, yeah. since. I've never brought her up with him. I've never, I've never mentioned it to him. I don't, I don't feel the need to. But when I got sacked to Carlisle, he rang me and said, look, unlucky, you know, the nature of the beast. You know, you had a hard gig, tough gig. Um, and now you know, you understand what management is all about. So, um, you know, get your head up and stuff. So he, he was good as gold me that way, you know what I mean? Yeah. I rang, but um, as I said, it was a learning curve for him. It was, it was an experience for me. It was a good experience because I think, you know, it's at the mould you if you like as a person also it gives you a toughness and a robustness to to know where you are and what you can take and what you can stand up to but it was challenging like it was definitely challenging like you said earlier if you're at that point in your career and you're earning good money you could easily go off the tracks and say right I've got another two years left in my deal I'm going to go drink and I'm going to do whatever mm-hmm. and I'm not, but, but that wasn't in me I didn't do that I wanted to I still wanted to try and prove them wrong you know you obviously went to win Sheffield Wednesday and Carlisle and you went into management with Carlisle. What was the big change straight away with going into management? What was the first thing you thought didn't didn't know this happened? Like, you know, as a player, I've never managed, but I always think, geez, it must be great fun to be a manager. Like, bar having job, lad, but bar that. Like, what's the other side of the game that you go, this is not? First of all, your time is never your own. So, and there's not enough hours in the week. And I can only imagine, well, I'd imagine the top end, there's different scenarios. So the top end, I used to think it would be easier because you've got more staff, you've got more people to delegate to. If they're good at their job um, and you delegate well enough, then you know you can relax knowing that the people who are in the position to do what they're supposed to do are doing it to the best of their ability, getting the best out of the players. When I was at Carlisle, um, we didn't have any, any recruitment, we didn't have any um, GPS, we didn't have any, uh, we didn't have a fitness coach, um, you know, everybody was travelling. So they were either travelling from Scotland or travelling from Manchester. There was no relocation. So basically, you know, players were sitting in cars for an hour and a half in the morning, an hour and a half after training. You were eventually going to get back problems, hamstring problems, calf problems. Uh, mm. You couldn't do recovery because we didn't have any place to stay. Uh, there was two houses that were full that the club had. Again, there was an old house and a young house. So the young house was being guided by each other. And if one had a bad habit, generally they all ended up getting bad habits because of it. The older house um, would influence the young younger house in terms of coming around, cooking food and stuff and messing and wind, wind them up and carry on. That was all fine, but 
what it became was if you if you didn't play a certain player, he, he could influence your group to be a particular way and vice versa with the younger lads. I didn't particularly understand that or know that at the time, but I found that out after I left. But that, that, that was irrelevant to me as a manager because at the time, my budget was already spent because the manager previous had, had spent the budget and there was no money left. So I basically had to deal with what I had within the, within the group. The transition happened. I was just a manager. I actually thought I was getting to know an awful lot of stuff that was going on where I wasn't privy to mm. it because I'm the manager. I didn't want to bore me with it. Um, and then I come in one Monday morning. The manager's been sacked and he goes, Rick, have you taken over? And you've got, it, you have it until uh, we, we appoint a manager. So I knew I had to change the mindset. I knew I had to change the way we trained a little bit. I knew I had to change the way we played. And I had to try and get the best out of a group that were really low in confidence because we lost the four or six games. So, you know, you might ask the question, well, why didn't you do it as assistant manager? Um, mm. To be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't in the position to and I wasn't allowed to. Greg managed in a certain way. He had a, a certain philosophy and, and style in which he managed. And that's not criticism. That's just the nature yeah. of how we, how we, how we done it. Uh, I wanted to go a different way. So we ended up winning the first four games, drew the next game, and I ended up get, getting given the job. I got given the job, I think, after the third game, won the fourth game, drew the fifth game, I think we drew the sixth game. So I'm now starting to smell myself thinking, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a good manager, me. I'm, 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 there's a future in this for me. And then we got one or two injuries and I, I made a mistake in one of the games. I took a player off and brought another player on and told him to do something and he didn't do it. And then I asked him to do it a different way and, that was my fault. I shouldn't have done it. And that cost us, that ended up costing us two points, which in the end of the season ended up costing us. But anyway, um, so the manager's role, which I thought, I get in the Monday morning. So I'm travelling from the northeast over to Carlisle, an hour and a half in the car, which was good in the sense that I had thinking time and I had time where I could speak on the phone to agents, to staff members, to whoever. Yeah. And likewise, coming home in the car. But I get in the morning, the chief executive would want to see me. So I'll go down and speak to him, which I would think would be a 15-minute conversation. Bearing in mind, I've also got to have a staff meeting. So the staff meeting could come first, and the chief executive would interrupt that, and I'd have to go and see him. He would tell me about the finances, the budget, um, what we would need from the FA Cup to be to still stay afloat as a football club. So the pressure then became we had to win, win, win in the FA Cup League around one, round two, round three, because it was worth this much, this much, this much. Um, then on top of that, then you'd have the physios. I'd have to go and see the physio to find out who was injured, who was who was fit, who was able to to play. And generally, we're getting calls five minutes before training. So and so have got a back problem now. He, he thought he was going to be able to train. He wasn't. So you're constantly rejigging things and, and juggling so many aspects of the club, lending yourself to different departments. On the back of that, then you, we were. I was asked to do the commercial stuff to promote the club. So you were doing stuff that was completely foreign to me. I was, I'd never been down the road of standing in front of 300 people, giving a, um, you know, speaking about what the plan for the club was, yeah. where, where we're going to go financially, you know, the, the plans for the new stadium, which were never really real, but they asked me to speak about it. All of a sudden now I'm thinking, I still have to play a game on Saturday and I've got to pick a team to, to, to get us a win. So by the time Friday generally came, I was exhausted after week after week and then what happened was they never gave me an assistant manager so I was basically doing it on my own sorry tell a lawyer they did they, they, they gave me an assistant manager who had been the UT manager but he had different uh, philosophy to me different mindset never used a whistle in training never used a, a watch in training so training sessions could go on for two hours two and a quarter hours I'm looking and going I want this to be an hour and a half 
had to have him in the office a few times to say, look, I'm not happy with the way things are going on. So now I'm chastising the staff, which yeah. doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was because that caused conflict within the group amongst the staff and stuff like that. Um, and then I ended up having to sack him. So I ended up sacking him. They didn't give me the money then to replace him. So I was then doing it all myself. So before you know it, your week is not your own. You end up not, you're not sleeping the way you need to be. Um, everything becomes blurred because of results. And then in the end, you're probably not managing the way you'd like to manage. Right? I, was, I was getting quite irate. I was getting quite frustrated. Um, I couldn't understand the mindset of the lower league player who, who didn't want didn't want to push himself and drive himself mm. when, I, when I was doing it every single day. And I was giving me all to to the club and to the players. And, you know, kid lads were having babies. Um, obviously, I was having babies. Um, I was giving them days off for certain stuff. And I, I felt like I was helping them. And I'm thinking, all I want back is you to give me your all. Yeah. That wasn't, and that was the frustration was, was it just, it sort of became too great. Got to the end of the season, we got relegated on point dif- on goal difference. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was, a, there, was a, there was a number of things that, that I would have, I would have done different. I definitely think I could have been helped more with it by the club and by the, um, the directors and the owners. But that being said, it sounds like excuses, you know? You always hear about players knocking on managers' doors, like going in to complain that they're not playing. But like as a manager, do you sense like I think this guy might come to me in a few days and I'm ready for him? Did you enjoy that? Like you know, sometimes you're saying like a player wouldn't give it his all, and you're trying to come across as character to me. You know where you're like, I want players to give it their all, and if they come to me, I'm ready to go back to them. Did you enjoy that? Like a player knocking on your door? Because a lot of managers shy away from it. I think if they're See, I, I didn't. I, I never showed away from what I done was, and to be honest, this again uh, was was of detriment. So I would tell players if they weren't playing. Now, bear in mind, I wasn't going around town twenty five players or fourteen if he's right and not playing. But, but I didn't do that. What I done was the players who I considered to be important to me, who would play mm-hmm. a part across the season. If they weren't in the team for four weeks, I didn't tell them every every week they weren't playing. So I would say, look. If, for instance, you were playing for me, I knew you were going to play more games. So, look, Graham, you're not playing today because I'm going to go with a different story. Yeah, different chance, Cap, you told me down, remember? You already gave me no. the bullet, remember that? Yeah, I do, yeah. I do. You made a good decision. No, 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 but again, all right, and even that week. So, I've, I've seen players where um, I've had them in the building and you think, right, is he better than what we have? What's what's mm. what's he going to cost? Um, you know, does he actually improve us considerably? Is he Is he still... Uh, developing and learning and if he is have I got time to develop and learn and educate for him to, to get up to speed and you're making all these decisions based on a training session or 11 v 11 is it, is it unfair yeah it probably is um, would you have, would you prefer to have more time with the players 100% like as an example and this is not blown smoke up your arse this is just telling you the facts I end up signing players that I thought were game ready because they were 30, 31, 32 and they had all these games behind them. Turns out they weren't hungry players anymore. They'd had their career. It didn't hurt yeah. them really. They were, they were at the tail end of their career thinking, this is a bonus. I'm not getting another two years. It's taking me up to 34. Whereas I'd rather now a 21, 22, 23 year old who's hungry, who wants it, who's aggressive, who's going to run the channel, who's going to cause a nightmare for defenders. But that was me learning on the job. Um, and and I, would I have done the same again? No, I'd have done different. You- 
See, I think, see, you went out of the game and you were still hungry for it. I think, like, see, with me, I kind of stepped out. And I'd know what a lad, if they came in and said to me, like, I'm not in the mood for this anymore. I knew it was in my career. I don't want this. I hate this. And you're saying to me, like, you signed that basically went, I could still get another two years out of this and just absolutely yeah. do nothing. Like, because the minute you signed that contract, as a manager, you can't get the guy physically out the door unless he wants to go. Like, you can try and make it as difficult as you can, but if a guy's going, I'm just still chilling. That must be but a hard part for a manager going, how can I get this fella out? Like, Well, I, I had, um, I mean, I, I so many scenarios as a manager, but I had players who, um, when I spoke to, and I'd never signed a player unless I'd actually sat down and sat across the table from looking in their eyes and, and, and got a feeling for them. And, um, but again, they, they have a, the players have a game face on. It's like, get me that contract. Yeah. I, will tell you, I will climb a mountain for you. Um, I'm still hungry. I want to be the top scorer. I want to be this. I want to keep clean sheets. I want to be, uh, you know, all this carry on. Um, and then, and also as well, like, what annoyed me, frustrated me was we had one or two players that had problems. Um, one had a psychological problem one had a gambling problem um, but I kept away from the press kept away from everywhere and to this day I'd never ever say who the players were but I helped them mentally in terms of financially what can we do club boys can we pay into something for them to get loads of things um, and all I asked in return was on a Saturday just run your nuts off you're going to make mistakes I understand that that's why you're playing at League 1 League 2 but at least yeah. give it your all for 90 minutes and then the game would come and they wouldn't and I used to think to myself, is he is he taking the piss? Like, is he actually taking the piss? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm pulling up all sorts for him. I'm going out my way to be like a father figure, a friend, a brother, however however way you want to put it. And all I'm asking is you to give me your all through the week, and then to give me your all on the Saturday. And if it's not good enough, fine. But at least you look yourself in the mirror. I look myself in the mirror. We weren't good enough as a group, and it is what it is. And, and my frustration was sitting in the dressing room. Um, sitting across the table from a player having the conversation them telling me everything I wanted to hear me seeing them play Monday to Friday training well being confident receiving the ball you know taking responsibility technically improving to then see them on a Saturday they look like they never met each other and yeah. I was like Jesus like what in the name of God is going on but that was that was difficult um, and again then like ultimately at the end of the day it's all about results You'd look at the board on a, on a Friday afternoon and say, right, what group of players? Or it would generally be a Thursday afternoon because I'd be prepared. I'd already have an idea what I was going to do, what, what players were available, who was going to play, who was going to pick. I'd ask each of the staff, this is what I'm thinking, what do you think? And I'd always got my own, my own opinion and my own view. But I, um, I certainly should have given them yeah. as much uh, opportunity to speak as possible. But it was uh, I, it was my decision at the end of the day because obviously I was going to live in, I was going to follow my own sort if we didn't, if we weren't successful. So, um. Yeah, when the Saturday came, we didn't get results. I look at that board and think this group of players isn't good enough because of injuries. Yeah. We, we needed the nucleus up to six or seven to be playing. And, but then, you, you, you know, you, you're trying to explain that to a board of directors, and they're saying, "Oh, here we go again. All he's talking about is budget. All he's talking about is recruitment." Um, so we didn't even we didn't have we didn't even have opposition analysis. So we were going to the games playing against teams that I didn't even know what formation they were going to be playing. So that used to have to ring other managers. And say, did you play again last week? What did they play? Who was the star man? Oh. Did all this to be carried on. So, although it's professional, because the fact you're getting paid, it's not professional in the sense that you're you're being yeah, professional. Looping, right? really like it, yeah. So uh, yes, yeah, so it was frustrating to say the least. Even some of the league clubs would know that. Did you feel though, like 
did you feel a bit like Roy Keane did sometimes, like you said, that you were such a, you played at a high level and you looked at these lads at the bottom and you're like, why can't you just do this? Like, did, did you see that then later? Did that come something or did you understand like these lads just ain't good enough to be what I want them to be? No, I've seen it. What, what happened was I, le- I left Sunderland and I went to Caloyle. I was 36 and um, so I played with, with these lads or I played with some of these lads and I knew how good they could be when they were good. I also knew how poor they could be when they, when they weren't on it. So that transition from me being a player into a coach, into a manager, I sort of started to understand the mindset of the, the group, if you like. But the group then evolved. Players went, came, stayed, moved on, whatever it was. I, I, I added my own group. But I, I understood that not all these players were here for the same thing. So, for instance, you bring in loan players and anybody you get in genuinely in loan is generally a player that the club fancy. And they're looking at how we can do when if he comes back, haven't done well, he'll be in around there first him. Anybody you get in 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 um sorry, anybody you get in August, I mean, was generally a good player that the, the club valued and, and, and seen a future for. Anybody you got in January, the club are generally looking at releasing. No, I thought they knew that, but I couldn't tell the players that. So the players are coming yeah. in thinking, where's my future? Where's me? Am I going to be playing at, at Wigan or Man City or Liverpool next season? Or am I going to be playing at Carlisle? Or am I not going to get I'm going to get released from Carlisle? So they have all these insecurities and they have all these um, things going through their heads. And if it's a first time loan as well, there's no new environment, new culture, new way of playing, new new surroundings, new style of play, new league. Um, and there's no responsibility on them where they've always played under 23 football. So there's so much that they're all playing for, which is different. And you have to try and gel that together. So, yeah, I did become frustrated at times, um, but I did understand it also, you know. You're old a bit now. Well, um, you missed the game. Are you? What are you up to now? Uh, well, we've 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 actually just set up an agency, a football agency called Clover Sports Management. So, on the back of my son, a few clubs were after my son, and we sat down with a few agents, spoke to them, and I just, uh, I, I, from being a player and having agents and um, knowing what way they can be, I thought, right, I want to I want to try and set up a, a company that's that's real, that's that's true, that's honest that delivers what, what it says it's going to do. Um, and that's the best interest of the players. I think if you have the best interest of the players, players, whether they're in a dressing room, on a bus, in a hotel, they'll speak good of you and you'll get more from the back of that. Um, you can always shaft as many players as you want, but you'll never get a second chance to shaft them. So why do it? And that's what I think an awful lot of agents do when they're, they're, they're out for themselves. They're out for the quick fix and the quick book. Um I don't see it that way. I want, to, I want to try and make it a, a company that you know looks after the, the wellness of the player, tries to present the best possibilities to them, and on the back of that, you know, we'll all be successful hopefully on the back of it. So, that, so that's what we, that's what we've tried to do, really. And is that up and running at the moment? Yeah, no, it's up and running. Yeah, well, we're still we're still trying to recruit players, uh, which is difficult. Um, it's a it's a very murky field, if you like. The, the agency world is um, the stories you hear about how they manipulate players and what they do and stuff. So. It's been an eye opener for the last eighteen months, um, which we've been doing it. So, but yeah, we're, we're starting to get a few decent players, a few good young players, um, and yeah, I'm just just trying to develop it and bring it and bring it on, and, and hopefully make it grow, help it grow. You know, a lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.